0: Again, we greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust you've been blessed today. I've heard that you were. I was like to offer this message to God before we give it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there's so many things uh, that should be going through our hearts and minds as we look at a subject like this and it might be easy to misunderstand something, I pray that you would lift up in our hearts your voice and cause us to hear your perspective and let the rest go to the side, Lord. Guide my heart and mine and those who hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat> subject tonight, as I'm sure you've seen, is organized sports, materialism, and the American dream. And in light of cultural pressures, I'm sure you're well aware that so many times truth and error run fairly close together, at least at some points. And there's certain parts of this, of these subjects, certain aspects that come within a pilgrim and stranger and disciple of Jesus Christ i i believe that soul out faithful christians do some playing and they live and work in a material world and they have goals And so when I look at the things here with you tonight that bring pressures from the world into the heart of a Christian, uh, I hope you can delineate between what in a crucified life is good and proper and what indeed brings pressures to bear uh, upon a faithful Christian life. I would like to go back to a passage I read last night again, I just feel like it is at the heart of these subjects, 1 John chapter 2, and remind us that when the scripture speaks in in a passage like this of the world, it's talking about society, its values, its priorities, its goals, and it's a lost society. It's a society that's manipulated and motivated by the prince of power of the air, by lost flesh. Her brother was speaking about the pulls of the flesh in the natural man and by the devil himself. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 again. <clears throat> Love not the world And now in our Bibles, let's read some in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. These are the verses that talk about the perilous times. I'm sure we all believe that we're in a portion of those times. And as you think about this subject tonight... Organized sports, materialism, the American dream. I would like you to note with me how much of that is addressed in these verses. Or the results of it are addressed in these verses. Second Timothy 3 verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves that's natural selfishness covetous my bible says that means money lovers boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy without natural affection truce breakers false accusers incontinent "'fearous, despisers of those that are good, "'traitors, heady, high-minded, "'lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, "'having a form of godliness, "'but denying the power thereof from such turn away. "'For of this sort are they which creep into houses "'and, and lead captives, silly women laden with sins.' led away with divers' lusts, never learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And I think that the pressures that come to bear from this subject on our lives has to do with we loving ourselves, with being covetous and proud, with loving pleasures more than loving God. And I would like you to note with me that it doesn't say that these people don't love God. These are... Religious professors, these are church-going people, but they love pleasure more than they love God. They have a form of godliness. They preach victory in Jesus. They sing victory in Jesus, but they are bound to immorality. They champion secular professionalism that has little wisdom and rebellion against legitimate authority because everyone has their own right to decide. So we look at this in light of scriptures like that. What are we talking about? We're talking about organized sports. We're not talking about pickup team baseball. Uh, This... uh, I guess somebody like Merriam-Webster would say it's when folks do regular practice and play as part of a league or association. Materialism. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. I don't suppose it's a sin to like to be comfortable if we can be. Now, uh, in my life of missionary workings and, and things, I uh, I think I've slept in just about every imaginable way there is to try to sleep, and I could tell you some stories even about myself and some other people in this room, but I won't go there. But it's been on everything from exam tables to vehicles to floors to benches to setting up tents in the rain and and quite a few other things, I tell my family I'm not going camping and lay on some tree root to try to have fun. Just not going to do it, forget it. I don't think it's wrong to choose a bed if you have a bed, but if you need to sleep on the root for the, for the gospel's sake, then we don't love Pleasure and ease and comfort more than we love God. Can we get a hold of that? There is a right and there is a wrong. And it has to do with perspective. It has to do with why. It has to do how important myself and my comfort is. But it's a tendency to consider the material and my comfort more important than spiritual values. That's materialism. The American dream. Brother Ray already told us where that gets its foundation. Pursuit of life, liberty. No. The uh, right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Prosperity and success. Upward mobility. The capacity and faculty to rise higher and higher and and hopefully further than my dad could and and we're going to keep moving this thing up i i wonder since the days of the depression and my mother and father grew up in those times maybe some of the rest of your parents did may even be a few here that experienced a little bit of the leftovers of it I don't know we're just about outgrowing that generation or outliving that generation but from the 1920s to now 100 years down the road how far up have we come in the valley in Maryland I don't know what happens so much out in Michigan and some of those other places but how far up have we come? Now you go around you see some old plantation houses that are pretty big. We'll have some more to say about that later. So we're looking at these things again, we think about the kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of this world. You think about That Jesus said, if any man come after me, me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So, I am crucified with Christ. That's the disciple's position. The world's position is my rights, my goals, my pursuits. Soldier of Jesus Christ takes up his cross. The... Man of this world pursues happiness. The servant of Jesus Christ thinks of serving God and others. The man of this world thinks of securing his future happiness and well-being. The disciple of Jesus Christ considers himself or herself a pilgrim and stranger here upon the earth. And... The person of the world thinks of upward mobility. The Christian thinks of honor preferring one another. That's the kingdom. Have you ever figured out how to do that? You know that your thoughts are more right than the people around you. Don't you? What does it mean to honor prefer one another? The person of the world says I'm number one. I take care of me. Love for Jesus versus love for self. We promote Jesus Christ instead of promoting self. Again though, the more progressive that individual and churches get in their thinking and be careful of that statement there because there are times when a position of less rules and Structure actually is a move towards spirituality, but in general speaking, whenever there is a shift towards less brotherhood, less body voice, less authority of of the church and home, towards individualism, towards uh, profession without power to live a holy life, towards Worship instead of obedience, etc. The more there is a move in that direction, the more the embracing of a one world, one kingdom concept, which makes professional organized sports, materialism, and the American dream more palatable to the individual. And it's no longer a problem to take the youth group to pro ball. It's no longer a problem to be a millionaire and show it by the car, the house, the plaques, the finery and refinery, and uh, in fact, when you get far enough into progressivism, it's even preached as righteous, health and wealth. Show it. I mean, it's God's blessing on your life. And indulgence, indulgence is a holy thing. So what are these cultural pressures? Where are the pressure points? I'd like to invite you to read with me the chapter of Titus 2. And you might think it kind of strange that I'm reading this chapter. But I'm thinking of a big word right now. I would suggest to preachers not to use many of those, but this word is hedonism. And it is the worship of fun, the worship of diversion, of amusement. And how it characterizes the culture of America tonight. And the culture far too much of even Anabaptist churches. Hedonism, the love of fun and diversion and amusement. And uh, I doubt there's hardly anybody in this room that needs this message more than me, okay? There's different ways to amuse ourselves, but hedonism. And when I read this passage, I, I just want you, I mean, it talks about aged men talking to the younger and aged women. It talks about being discreet. It talks about denying ungodly and worldly lusts and talks about being zealous for the things of God. I just want you to sense the different flavor. Totally different flavor, the seriousness, the zeal for God, the it's just a totally different mindset and heart feel for life than the organized sports materialism and American dream. Let's read but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part May be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God hath appeared, pardon me, for the grace of God that bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself A peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Zeal for the things of God versus self-pleasure, me, my, ours. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so the mind of Christ is to serve God and others, to be family, to be kingdom building, to be investing in the kingdom, whereas the world is uh, serve me and and, and my whatever, my significant other or maybe nobody else. Serve my team, upward mobility, stewardship and management. Versus kingdom investment, and so we have these two kingdoms, and the move towards one kingdom. And I've already said there's the so many of this of these things are directional, and and that's why the pressure is so, uh, is so uh, dangerous. That is going to move us more and more in our thinking toward the world as a whole is acceptable if I just do it as a Christian. I think tonight one of the great problems, one of the great pressures that comes out of play, amusement, recreation, use of money and resources for selfish goals and purposes. One of the great, great problems, one of the pressures is that it simply entangles us and limits us and becomes weights in our life and it leads to lukewarmness and mediocrity in the Christian living. And uh, Jesus in Mark 4 verse 19 said it this way, and the cares of this world And the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And I want to ask you tonight how many things can you be passionate about, passionate about at once? How many totally heartfelt pursuits can you have? I've heard this term, I'm sure you have too. Work hard, play hard. You ever hear that? Is that doable? I think it is. They say men can only focus on one thing at once, but I think they can at least compartmentalize working really hard and playing really hard. But if you work hard and you play hard, can you serve wholeheartedly, God? Can you fulfill the first commandment? I, the first commandment has challenged me almost more than any other verse in the Bible. I don't measure up. Uh, I'm way behind Paul, I'm sure, on that one. It's saying I have, I pursue it, but I'm not there. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And I'm believing tonight that one of the great pressures in our life as conservative Mennonite Christians here in America is that our pursuit of fun and recreation, our pursuit of being successful with our monies and our possessions our upper mobility tendencies in the american dream not as a blanket statement not everyone is affected in the same way but taking the church as a whole this is a pressure that has contributed to the degree of lukewarmness we have in our churches i think if i asked you to say amen tonight to Could we use revival in our churches? I think you would say that. Well, would we be honest enough and willing to say tonight that if we need revival, our love of ease, pleasure, money, and upper mobility is contributing to the problem. We look at our young men, and I do too, and we say, We really don't want you to become part of professional and organized ball. And they struggle with that. I want us to ask those of us that are preachers or older. I want us to ask ourselves tonight if we're a big part of that problem. Because of where we're at. In these three areas. the the unhealthy, uncrucified desire to please ourselves, to obtain what we want, to keep up with our contemporaries, to be able to have and enjoy the things they have and enjoy, to have the very top-level fun that's available to do, I believe that those issues not only affect the spirituality, but they affect the fabric of brotherhood at its core. If one brother, because he has had a lot of success in business, can build this size house or go on this type of hunting trip or or spend this much time in Florida, and I, I guess I'm picking on all the wrong things, or go this far to fish, or, or spend this much on electronics. Um, what does that do to the contemporaries? Does everyone else have to work so hard, or do so much so they too can do it, so they can take their children to do the same things? Is there a difference between pickup baseball with the family or a church picnic and organized sports where there is finally a champion of the year? Is there a difference? Is there a difference in going out to state land nearby or you're back 40 on your farm and hunting deer or a hunting trip to Africa? Is there a difference? Is there a difference between building a $250,000 house for your five, six children, or building a million-dollar house? Because you gave a million dollars to the church so you can build a million-dollar house, right? Is there a difference? Does it put pressure on my fellow brother to be able to do the same? It's not all money either. If if I spend a lot of time, I'll get down to where it affects me more, if I spend a lot of time reading e-books does that give a young person license to read just as many or more? I mean he's not even a preacher so he can read more. If I play an electronic game so much a week can a young brother play it even more? Uh, I'm saying tonight that when our Use of play and our use of money and possessions and our use of the American society is not crucified, it adversely affects brotherhood and the unity of brotherhood and the spirituality of brotherhood. Because whether or not these sub whether we like to face it or not, these subliminal pressures are there to just increase and do more. we've been discussing some the matter of sports playing in our home ministry recently. And one of our more older ministers said as we were leaving the meeting one night, he said, uh, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. And so I thought about that passage a little bit. I thought there's something missing there yet. And you know who that, you preachers know who that was said of, right? Sodom, the missing one was pride. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Yeah, and then a young brother said to me a few days later, he said, yeah, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, our people didn't have the money to do some of the things we're doing today. I don't know, some did, I guess, and some didn't. But it's not all good. I, I feel like sometimes the work of the church suffers, family life suffers, missions suffer, and the very heartbeat of God in us suffers because of the push of contemporaries and all together we're rising to a higher level of consumerism and indulgence. And I think of the impact in the church when the fun has to become, or it, I don't even like that term, I'll admit that. but the re, So I'll say recreation. When the recreation needs to be more professional. I, I said, you know, and it wasn't because in my day as youth we were all that righteous, believe me. But we, you know, we played basketball on the barn floors. But today, father and son have to go out to the lodge and play golf or go to the lodge and, and ski, or or at least go to the public tennis courts. And so our recreation has become more public, more expensive. I even know of some cases where conservative Anabaptists go on cruises. And, and I'm not going to lay down a, a blanket condemnation on any of these things. I just want us to think about how the upward mobility, not only in money, but in recreation fund, has went more and more and more and more professional and more expensive and more excessive. And uh, we travel. I like to travel. I'm not condemning travel for travel's sake. But as we travel to do our play, that gets more and more time away and expensive and, and again the upward push. I think we need to seriously think tonight has it contributed to my lack of zeal has it contributed for my lack of thirst for God has it contributed to not having as much time I have I've had the privilege in my life for 17 glorious years to be a fully full-time supported missionary and uh Uh, That was a tremendous privilege. One of the privileges I got out of that, I could spend however many hours I wanted to with the Bible and prayer or talking to people about their souls, and I wasn't neglecting my living. And I don't believe that everyone should be fully supported missionaries. That's not the point. But I do know there's a difference between having enough time to be holy, and if you don't have it, it's your fault for not taking it and feeling these other pressures that keep pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. And I think you would agree with me tonight that many of the pressures we get, at least in finances and time management and all that, is not so much an absolute inevitability in our life, but rather so Result of life's choices. The choices we're making that's putting those pressures into our life. The appetites we're developing, the, the things that we're deciding we want to give our time and money to that's bringing these pressures to bear. I guess one of the things I come back to that I mentioned last night, I want to come back to again here tonight because there's many of you here tonight of men that are ministers, or you ladies, your ministers' wives, ministers' families. And, and so at least for appearance sake, we have to limit this stuff a little bit, right? But I'm, I'm wondering, even if I haven't went out in the depths of sin, and if I'm not considered a liberal and, and haven't really lost it, but nevertheless, My lifestyle, my involvements, and the way I look at fun, pleasure, money, possessions, and my dreams for the future. My business decisions about the next building, piece of equipment, hiring, you all know what it is, on and on and on. As as we make those decisions, if I could be yielding 60-fold. And because of play, money, and dreams, I'm only yielding 30-fold. If I'm missing some of the opportunities of service to God and love for others and service to others because of me, am I responsible for that? Are you responsible to not become a sinner? Are you also responsible for the way you could have served God and are not serving God because of selfishness? Am I responsible for that? Well, we serve a merciful God. and I think when we get to heaven, we're all going to need to wipe some tears away because we didn't get it right and everything but it's a shame that souls may well be in hell because we were playing Missed opportunities. And tonight, as we look at these pressures, and as I said, many of you are in the ministry. I I, I want to share a little, the, the beginning of a burden that's in my heart. I'd like to finish it, if the Lord wills, tomorrow night. But first I want to tell you a little story. Uh, I go to Mount Olive Mennonite Church. In Mount Olive Mennonite Church, we do plenty of playing and recreation. I'm sure sometimes we get it wrong. We also have our fair share of material goods and we battle with this upward mobility and American dream. I do too. I'm part of that. But nevertheless, the Spirit of God moves there sometimes. I'm grateful for that. When I was a young man, sitting towards the back of the congregation, we had a week of meetings, week of revival meetings. I was a school teacher at the time. I uh, had decided that I would take up dairy farming with my father-in-law. Now, those of you that know me, you can't even believe I would have considered that, I know, but that's what we were planning on doing. We had plans drawn up for some changes, for some upward mobility, maybe. I don't know, and and I was going to do that. And as we uh, sat in that week of meetings, God began to speak to me, and I'm sure the brother that was doing the preaching said nothing against dairy farming. I'm not going to do that tonight either. That happens to be a very godly vocation and work when it's God's will for a person. But uh, that brother, he was not a super dynamic preacher. He just wasn't. But it was very clear he loved God and that his life was crucified. And he preached that way, values that are true to the heart of Christ. As I went through that week I just began to feel God taking away my peace about my farming plans and that that's not what God's plan was for me. And I didn't, God didn't tell me all the steps down through my life he was going to take me through. He just simply said, this is not for you. I want you to keep teaching school. And so I had to go back to my father-in-law and say, I'm sorry, I don't know all the reasons why, but I just don't feel at peace about this. I'd like to hold off from the farming. And then a couple years later, I was asked to go to Guatemala and, and of course different things down through life. And I don't know hardly how to talk about this in an honorable way, because I've failed so much and, and, and uh, lost opportunities so much, I'm ashamed to talk about it. But I do, I do have to wonder, because I want you to wonder, if there wouldn't have been a godly man there preaching that week, would my life have been very different? And would there be some souls that might be in heaven that wouldn't be there if a brother wouldn't have preached faithful and made it possible for the Spirit of God just to speak words into my heart? I want to tell you, Minister Brethren, tonight that there isn't any amount of rules that are going to save our people from sports and the American dream of materialism. You can't make a book thick enough to take care of it. You can't get stern enough bishop or active enough deacon to take care of it. Somehow the spirit of God will have to bring individual conviction into people's lives where they decide they're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. And then the things of this earth will go strangely dim. And, uh, yeah, this is what I want to say in closing. Uh, Brethren, this problem is serious. It really is. It's not just a young person's problem. I mean, this this is old folks fiddling their lives away. This is middle-aged people deciding they're going to change churches so they have more permission to have more fun without church restrictions. This is through every generation that we have this problem. I'd like to challenge you. If some of you think... I have no idea what to preach the next time I'm going to preach. I, I just, I, you know, and you start casting around, wonder where you're going to get a sermon idea. How about get a burden from God for your people and get down your knees before God until God makes you feel the danger that our brotherhoods are in. And get up, listen folks, you don't need a clarion voice. You don't need to go to some professional seminar to tell you how to keep people's attention. You can be a stuttering preacher, but if the Spirit of God has gripped you with a burden, he can do through you what he did through that man that preached that week I'm talking about. And maybe somewhere, there will be a young man who has too much interest in ball, or a middle-aged businessman who has too much interest in golf, or any other, I mean, sorry, I'm picking on the golfers, I guess, or any other of these professional pursuits or just beach goers or whatever's going on, and all of a sudden they will hear something from the voice of God and they'll make a decision that changes the course of their life and makes a difference, a real difference, in the souls of men and women. And you need to, you need to set the trumpet to your mouth. You need to talk in practical terms about what these pressures are doing to our beloved churches that we're part of. And I'm glad we're as faithful as we are. I I am just blessed by you all. I'm blessed by the churches we represent. But um, I believe these three things And I I changed a little bit, if you've noticed. I haven't been talking all that much about sports. It's included. I would just say high-tech play, materialism, and the pursuit of the American dream is a serious weight on our brotherhoods.